Welcome to episode 76 of the Shannon Plan episode, Jalen Moore. My name is Kyle Posey. I am joined, as always, by Akash. Akash, hello. What's going on, KP? I hope you've warmed up. You were out in Green Bay, uh, but but texting us because it was freezing cold. I, I hope you finally warmed up now that you're back in Arizona. So the inactives came out, and I tweeted, and I had Diamond Lenore as an active. And I also said he might be able to replace in the starting lineup. Um, he might be able to replace Ambry Thomas because Ambry Thomas did not play. I was not going to correct that tweet because I was not going to take my phone out of my pockets because I did not want to take my hands out of my pockets. It was miserable. It was very cold. And I would never wish anybody um, to have to spend three hours outside in that. But the professional football players, they had to. And the 49ers won. Before we get into that, um, please, as always, rate, subscribe, review. Leave us five stars. We appreciate that. I'm going to read a review from Zoner44. He left us five stars. Great crew. Great show. Go Niners. First off, I have to say I enjoy basically all the content you put out. It's obvious the success of the 49 is very important to everyone. By the way, that is true. Like, no matter what we say, we want them to win. We are not going to agree with everything that they do because that is not how the game works. You don't have to be a cheerleader to support your team. But we do appreciate them, and we, of course, we want them to win. All right, back to review. I don't always agree with everyone's opinions, but they put some thought into them and aren't just spouting an agenda or saying thanks for clicks. Thursday, we have a show, Rob and Levin. Rob and Levin are great. They fight like an old married couple and have plenty of great opinions. Michelle, who gives out, like, fantastic betting and just fantasy advice, don't ever lose the hey, y'all, and I appreciate all the betting and great fantasy gold. Javi and Leo are great because they give takes and you feel like you're chatting with your buddies. Lastly, but not least, Kyle and Akash give you some great, some more of the more statistical and technical portions of the game and are always fun to listen to. All around great job, everyone. You're living the dream and I am truly jealous. Go Niners. And that is true, man. I appreciate that comment, Zoner44. Uh, we are, man. We get to talk about football. We get to talk about a successful football team. And not a lot of people can say that. No, I don't think that there is any team like the 49ers who just give you as much action, as much content. Uh, you guys are very lucky to you know, have the amount of people that cover this team. Uh, let's talk about the game because, I mean, 49ers, they're going to play a game. It's going to be a roller coaster. You don't know what's going to happen. No, that's not true. I, you do know what's going to happen. You just don't know the order of which these things will happen. So sure enough, um, 49ers offense starts out slow. This time when they started out slow, it wasn't the quarterback's fault. And, you know, they had some scoring opportunities that they did not take advantage of. Aaron Rodgers comes out quick. And Rodgers does not score after that. The 49ers get some luck. There's no doubt about it. And at the end, uh, they were able to take down the one seed. So let's start on offense because two playoff games, the 49ers offense has two touchdown drives. They're play caller is Kyle Shanahan. That is not acceptable. They have a ton of talent on that side of the ball. So best left tackle in the game. That's pretty objective. I feel like everybody would agree with that. The all pro voters would agree with that. They have George Kittle. They have Debo Samuel. They have Brandon Ayuk. They have point guard Jim Garoppolo. They have Elijah Mitchell. They have a good offensive line. After listing all of that and knowing who their play caller is, you should be able to score more than two touchdowns in two games. Do you think this was more about the Packers shutting the offense down or was it just the offense doing what they usually do and shooting themselves in the foot? Because throughout the season, 
you know, they, they did this. They, there were drops. There were a lot of penalties. And we saw that over the course of the game. You know, they, they're in the red zone. Trey Williams is flat for holding. They get backed up. They're about to score. Elijah Mitchell breaks a run, and he face masks a defender, and now they're backed up, which leads to an interception, which, again, has been pretty consistent as far as turning the ball over. So uh, do you think – how much credit do we give the Packers here? I think it's a little bit of both. You go back to both games, and they've only scored two offensive touchdowns in 20 total possessions. In the Cowboys game, one of those touchdown drives was a Debo 26-yard run where he called his own shot. So really, they've only had one good full offensive drive this entire playoffs, and somehow they're 2-0, which is the most unbelievable part about it. And that was that opening drive in Dallas where they came out boom, boom, boom and hit the Cowboys right in the mouth. And it was a well-executed drive, well-executed script by Kyle Shanahan. But since then, it's just felt like they've been off. And Leo Luna, another podcast host with the Niners Nation Network, uh, said that Jimmy Garoppolo has been held under a 90 pass rating for four straight games, which is, which is a first. So I think it starts there. And like you mentioned on Saturday, it felt like when the game started, it felt like Jimmy Garoppolo was actually kind of playing pretty well. On one of the opening drives, he had George Kittle there, which felt like it might have gone for a touchdown, but, you know, Kittle just dropped the pass, um, which, you know, uh, is not something Kittle normally does. Probably weather had some, you know, impact on that just because it's a lot colder. The ball is probably harder, just a little bit harder to catch that. And then Jawan Jennings on the subsequent play, third and 11. Also, you know, Garoppolo gives him a chance and Jennings drops it. So there's a little bit of, you know, just... Uh, the offense not executing as well as the Packers defense also doing a good job of uh, slowing down the run early. It felt like they were not going to let the run beat them. It felt like they just stacked the box and said, okay, we're going to make Jimmy Garoppolo beat you, especially in these inclement conditions. And early on the offense just couldn't find a rhythm. They had what four punts. And then they finally start to move the ball down the field. And then Jimmy Garoppolo has that awful red zone interception. Um, which just can't happen because in these low-scoring games, you just need points. And so just, you know, couldn't afford that turnover, but they were able to overcome it at the end of the day. But um, I thought it was a little bit of both. And then in the second half, like you mentioned, there was a Trent Williams holding penalty. Actually, that was at the end of the first half, the Trent Williams holding penalty that brought them back, which eventually led to the Garoppolo interception. And then the Elijah Mitchell face mask on the opening drive of the second half. Just, Just tough. Because when you put yourself behind and down in distance, this offense just seems to struggle to um, gain those yards after that. And that that was just a brutal penalty, except it, especially because it would have been a first and goal, I think, at nearly the five-yard line. And they, they might have been able to punch that in, and the game could have looked different. But So the offense has to be better. They just have not been good. You can look at any of the advanced metrics. Um, over the last two weeks, Really, the three weeks, if you just take out that second half in Los Angeles where they were able to come back, they just have not really been cohesive. And they're going to need a better performance um, in Los Angeles than they were able to put up in Green Bay in order to advance to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was it was strange watching them because early drops tend to set the tone. And the Kittle one was huge. But on the very next play, Juwan Jennings has an opportunity on third and long. And Jimmy puts the ball where he needs to. And I don't know if he just failed to get his head around or – something happened where the throw was off, but it was right in line with where his hand should be. And they couldn't come up with it. And that was a big first down. I, I think we should give the Packers defensive line credit early on because they were working. Um, Brunskill, True. Compton, Mack, Rashawn Gary, Rashawn was making Gary. Compton look 
um, like an undrafted free agent, like a player who's been a journeyman all of his life. And that was bad. So they really couldn't get much going then. And I don't know if Shanahan knew that, knew that he couldn't get much going. And, you know, he's just going to be a little more conservative than usual. I think on the other side, though, the floor, like both of these coaches are a lot more conservative than, you know, their reputation would suggest. And that kind of played out in this game. But they found a way, man. And I think that's really what matters because both teams were obviously, you know, the weather had a lot to do with how they were playing. But I don't know, man. I guess I want to talk about why that won't happen against the Rams. So a lot of that is because of the weather. So when you like I was I was walking on the field, you could barely. So they have cleats, obviously, but the footing was not great. And I think that had a lot to do with some of the sacks that Jimmy took. Like you just couldn't move very well. What were you? Gonna L- Lambo's not a heated field, right? So no, I'm sure no. it feels like cement as the game goes on, which is impossible to get your footing yeah. on. They were playing on an ice skating rink, essentially, is what it seemed like. It was it, the ground was hard, and yeah, the surface just wasn't great. But the, they won't have to worry about that in Los Angeles because it's not going to be snowing or negative degrees in Los Angeles. And another big reason why there's familiarity, you know, they play the Rams multiple times. But I think the biggest reason why that they're going to have success against the Rams is because. So the pre-snap motion and no team in the NFL motions more than the 49ers before the snap. And what the Rams want to do is conversely, no team shuffles around, I guess, stems after the snap. So the Rams are going to show you something before the snap, and they're going to present a different look after the snap. No team does that more than the Rams. When the 49ers motion, they force the Rams to, you know, show their hand, tip their, you know, show you what they're going to do. So because of that, the Rams can't do all of their exotic things after the snap, and that's why the 49ers have had success. Again, they need to block Von Miller. They need to block Leonard Floyd. They need to block Aaron Donald. That is not easy. And those three players are going to make their plays when they make their plays. It's not because the 49ers are bad. It's because those guys are good. And that is okay to admit. But on the perimeter is where the 49ers are going to have the advantage. I think that their physicality and their athleticism, it just seems like outside of Jalen Ramsey, the Rams don't seem very interested in tackling in the secondary. And that's where the 49ers are going to have the advantage. So I thought the 49ers had a couple of good screen calls. Um, I thought I think I'm very confident that they're going to be able to get over on the Rams over the middle of the field. So Cliff Kingsbury, joke of a coach. Um, he, he did not. We were right. Attack. This podcast has been indicated yes. <laughs> about Cliff Kingsbury. We talked all that shit all season long. By the end of the year, we look pretty good. So. The Rams' weakness, when you invest all that in your defensive line and you trade two first-round picks for a superstar cornerback, you're going to be weak at the linebacker position. The Cardinals did not attack the middle of the field. Um, Tom Brady didn't have the time to attack the middle of the field. And Bruce Arians' offense, they're just so vertical that, you know, they're not going to take those underneath throws. Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo, they live in the middle of the field. So that's another big reason why I think the 49ers will have success. I think we're going to see a lot of Kittle, Ayuk. Debo just lined up on their linebackers, lined up on their 38-year-old safety who was signed off the street last week. They have the matchup advantage inside. I think that's where we're going to see a lot of damage done. So uh, do you think we see anything differently from the offense uh, this time around against the Rams? I don't think so. Like you mentioned, they know how to attack this Rams defense. I think it's just a matter of executing in the trenches. And 49ers released – uh, the mic'd up video of Trent Williams from the Green Bay Packers game last night. 
And if you watch it, he speaks to both the defensive line and the offensive line. And he basically says, we got to go out and win this, right? Defensive line, you got to, you know, stop the run and rush the passer. Huge deal. Offensive line, we got to control the game on the ground, running the ball. And like you mentioned, the middle of the field is a really good point. Um, the 49ers in the two games have absolutely torched the Rams in the middle of the field. Uh, 29 of 36, 320 yards and three Oof. touchdowns. The Juwan Jennings touchdown fourth quarter to tie the game. That was over the middle of the field. That was a Rams, you know, uh, coverage bust. And so it, it feels like, you know, that's the area where Garoppolo's the best. That's the area where the Rams are the weakest. <laughs> and also the other thing is it felt like they went after the Rams weaknesses. We've, We've done this segment two weeks in a row, right? Who's the mark? And we talked about it a couple weeks ago. They went after Dante Dion, which makes sense. You're not going after Jalen Ramsey as much. He's the other corner for the Rams. They also went after linebacker Troy Reader, who's, I think, second in the NFL in missed tackle percentage behind Patrick Queen. And it felt like they tried to isolate him in the run game. And they were saying, hey, go make these tackles. And he was missing them against the 49ers, especially in that second half. So, they know where the matchup advantages are. It, I think it's just a matter of executing, uh, especially up front against those stout pass rushers. Um, and I'd, I'd imagine they have more success this time around um, than they have the past few weeks. I, I'd imagine their confidence is probably at an all-time high, especially given um, how that Week 18 game uh, ended in L.A. So when the 49ers needed to make a play against the Packers, they gave the ball to number 19, which is a pretty good plan. Pretty good plan. So they needed to start the half, kick return, 45 yards. They go down and score a touchdown. End of the game, third and seven. Originally a pass play, which Debo said. And they call a timeout. You get into a different look. The Packers stay in their nickel look, which means now Kittle gets the block of safety. Debo has nobody to worry about. He just gets to run fast, which he is very good at as well. And they pick up the first down. So against the Rams, I'm, I'm curious to see – if this is going to be like a Debo overload game where they just put him everywhere, make sure that he's going to get the ball often. Why wouldn't you They're like, this is, you have to treat every game like it's your last. And I think Elijah Mitchell is a, is a competent running back, but to me, I don't think it's close that like Debo's the best running back on this team. I said before the, the, the playoffs started that he was the best running back in the playoffs. And a lot of people were like, you know, Derrick Henry, this Derrick Henry, that, well, Derrick Henry hadn't played in like forever, so he was never going to be the same person you remembered him. And the way that Debo is able to not only run through tackles, um, just generate yards after contact and get to top speed so quickly that the guys who are oncoming, they don't really have a chance of getting a hand on him. So I feel confident in saying that if he gets 10 carries, at least one of them is going to go for 20 yards. Why? Because history would suggest that that's true. It happens all the freaking time. Happened so, against the Rams a couple weeks ago, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, their first touchdown coming out of half was a was a Debo Samuel run for what twenty yards, I feel like, right? And then he has like screens that they're giving him that game, which is, would be another you know a nice change of pace just to get him on the edge right away. But how many touches do you think we see from Debo this game? Is it going to be let me say uh, over under fifteen? What what did he have last week? I, I think he was right around that number. He was right around that number. I'd imagine it's over that number. I feel like this is a kitchen sink game. Um, more so than the Super Bowl, I feel like just getting there with this team would be massive, especially beating Sean McVay seven straight time. It feels like this is where Kyle Shanahan rolls in, you know, puts in all the marbles. 
and you got to go you got to go down swinging with your best players in my opinion and that's 19 85 and 11 and i'd imagine he gets more than 15 touches between um between carries and between uh his receptions and thanks to our producer rob uh debo sammy had 13 touches in the packers game and i'd imagine he tops that this week i think if you need a play if you need yards you're going to 19. yeah it's pretty crazy that when he when he lines up in the backfield you know he's going to get the ball when he lines up in the backfield you still can't stop him like that's the testament of a just a superstar player it's been fun to watch him grow just as a player but they're going to need help around him. And they got that last time. It was Jawan Jennings. Um, Ayuk had a, a, a couple of big plays that, you know, that really helped them, especially uh, when they were down in the two minute or in the two minute situation. So, and then there's still that Kittle guy who's more than likely, it feels like Kittle is bound to break out one of these games, right? Because it feels like what it, it's been a while. And maybe that's just because. Kittle's Kittle, and we have this high expectation of him that he, sh- you know, he should have 100 yards every game. But it, it seems like we we've gone a while since Kittle's really, you know, had that 151 yard type of game. So against the Packers, he had four catches for 60 yards. Would have had over 100 if he would have caught that those passes. But um, against the Cowboys, only one catch, 18 yards. Against the Rams, five catches, only 10 yards. You think we see a different version of Kittle this time around? Because as we mentioned. Uh, the the weakness of the Rams is that middle of the field. I'm not sure because I'd imagine in this game, especially especially the way Tom Compton looked last week, that George Kittle is going to stay in more to be a blocker and to chip Aaron Donald, to chip Leonard Floyd, to chip Von Miller. Um, so I'd imagine that's more of his role in this game. As much as we want to see George Kittle go off for 100 yards, 150 yards, I'd imagine that's where he adds value this game, which is fine. Um, so I don't expect George Kittle to go off, which is which is crazy because whenever I say that he goes off for 100 yards, and when I think he's gonna have a big game, he has like five catches for 10 yards. So maybe that's just me jinxing him. But I, I think his role is gonna be more um, along the offensive line than it is as a receiver in this game. Yeah, I can see that. Just because, again, you remember what you saw last week. So the Bucks were down their tackles. Uh, they're all pro tackle, not just any tackle. And because of that. Uh, they had to leave Gronk in to protect. So I can see a similar game plan where Shanahan, maybe he feels comfortable one-on-one on the outside, and because of that, uh, he will have to. Or not even that. Maybe he feels comfortable moving Ayuk into the slot, moving Debo into the slot, moving Juwan Jennings, letting him run option routes in the slot. And to do that, to give Jimmy time, you're going to have to have somebody to block, and that somebody is Kittle. And the sacrifice kind of sucks for him numbers-wise, but in a team sport, you're going to take – either one of those wide receivers over, you know, the, the fourth string cornerback on the Rams. And for that to happen, you will probably need Kittle to block. So let's turn the page. Let's talk about the defense, because if the offense was lackluster at best, the defense was anything, but that was, that was as much of a historical performance as it gets. And I feel like since we're so in the moment, we're not appreciating that the 49ers just went on the road held the number one seed to one touchdown. This number one seed so happened to be probably the best offense in the NFL. This number one seed has a Hall of Fame quarterback. This number one seed has probably the best wide receiver in the NFL. And Devontae Adams, like he had a really strong start to the game. It seemed like he was going to go over 200 yards to start the game. They couldn't stop him. Uh, They were attacking Dante Johnson. They were attacking K1 Williams. And then 
all that changed. D'Amico Ryan's pretty much ripped up the opening script, threw that out, and said, we are going to double you, and you are going to throw the ball to anybody else if you want to beat us. Aaron Rodgers did not seem so interested in doing that, and because of that, uh, the 49ers were able to, again, just get off the field time and time again. Just forcing multiple three and outs against the Packers is a, a tough feat to do, and like not many people can say that. So uh, they shut down the running game. They did a, a bunch of different things that, you know, nice little wrinkles that you really haven't seen this year. So just credit to D'Amico Ryans for being uh, essentially a mastermind because, again, like I – I watched Robert Solid pretty closely, and he wasn't doing the thing, the same things that D'Amico Ryan's doing. And he also had Richard Sherman, like not the version of Richard Sherman that you saw in Tampa Bay, like a, a good Richard Sherman. And that year's version of Emmanuel Mosley was pretty good as well. Uh, this year, he has not had you know competent cornerbacks for the most part. So to be able to scheme around cornerbacks and still be dominant on the defense side of the ball is just really, really tough to do. Also, I have to give credit to – Fred Warner, who played lights out, probably played his best game this season. Eric Armstead continues to be one of the most dominant defensive tackles in the league when he's moved inside. So that helps as well. Uh, Their tackling has been sound. There's really nothing bad that you could say. I think there was maybe like one play where they had like a coverage bus, one or two plays. But outside of that, so think about that. Outside of in in a play, in a game where you have maybe 40, 60 plays, somewhere between that number, and you only have like two mistakes, you're going to win those more often than not. And even on the first drive, like some of the plays that the Packers were making, like they just missed a tackle. That's not sustainable. What was sustainable was that they were still winning up front on the first drive, and that's why eventually uh, they were able to pull it out. A couple things to note. That was the lowest scoring output that the Green Bay Packers have had in a playoff game under Aaron Rodgers ever. Ten points. And the clip went viral on my timeline I think a couple days ago. Where after that 2019 NFC Championship game, Aaron Rodgers at the at the you know podium and he's like, we got to get one of these in our place. You know, when it's 20 degrees and when it's snowing, it's just a different ball game. And it's like, well, Aaron, you got that. And guess what? You put up seven points, <laughs> or you put up ten points at home uh, as the number one seed with an extra week of rest. Um, you know, in those inclement conditions that your team is used to. So it was funny. They only had 55 passing yards in the second half, which is insane to think about. Nuts. And with four minutes to go in a tie ball game, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers got exactly what they wanted. They had the ball in the MVP's hands, and they said, hey, let's go out. You put up points, which the 49ers offense had not been doing. They probably put them away. And what they do? Three and out. Couldn't get a ball first back. down. Couldn't get a first down. You know, three and out. I think that was the sequence of plays where it was Devontae Adams outright. And then uh, Dante Johnson or Kwan Williams made a fantastic tackle. And then second down, they go to Randall Cobb on the left side. And I think Kwan Williams almost had a pick, it felt like. And then the third down play was the one where he missed Lazard um, and fires down to Devontae, which is the play you broke down, I believe, right? Which is the one where D'Amico Ryan sends both safeities. And yeah, Aaron Rodgers is incredible. Screw it. But Talano um, Hufanga's back there. Yeah. So let's walk through that play. So the week before... You know, he's getting lauded for cover zero on fourth down, just blitzing the house essentially against Dak Prescott and making Dak flush the pocket and, you know, have to heave it downfield for a first down on this play. So third and long uh, game, this is what you need if you want to, you know, keep moving. So you have Tart, Jaquaski Tart, and you have Jimmy Ward lined up about nine yards off the ball. They are blitzing. So they're blitzing from depth, which 
you don't really see often, especially at the NFL level from your safeties. So they blitz. And by the way, the Packers go on a quick count. So they kind of catch the 49ers defense off guard. They blitz from depth. Rodgers sees, sees Ward blitzing from the corner of his eye. And they actually have a guy out there to, to block him. Aaron Jones was lined up on that as a tight end, essentially, to block him. They have another guy, their actual tight end on the left side, to hold for Tart. So Rodgers sees the blitzing safeties. And he's thinking, oh, man, I got one-on-one outside with my best player against their backup. So they had Devontae Adams running a deep post, and Dante Johnson was guarding him. What he didn't account for was, as you said, Talanova Funga was lined up as linebacker, middle linebacker on that play. As soon as the ball was snapped, Hufunga gets his eyes to Adams and just turns and runs. So they essentially had him double covered. Rodgers did not see that. And instead of, you know, scanning the field, finding the open guy. He was just forcing it to Adams all game, and he really didn't seem confident or comfortable throwing to anybody else, which he should have because there were players open. But D'Amico Ryans was essentially rolling the dice saying, I don't think that you're going to throw the ball to anybody else, and he was right to do so, and it paid off for them. Um, just um, that play that to was, me yeah. was like as good as it gets. That play was more impressive than uh, the fourth down blitz because, I mean, you either drop eight or you, you send the house on, on – in most of those instances, this time he blitzed, but he also had your best wide receiver double cover. Just uh, three steps ahead of Aaron Rodgers all game. Uh, one question that we need to talk about. So as dominant as Eric Armstead has been, so he's been one of the best run defenders. That hasn't changed you know, in the last couple of years. As he's moved inside since the Bears, I would imagine that he's been a top five defensive tackle. I'm not going to pretend like I watch every team in the NFL. Um, I don't have to watch every team in the NFL because there are teams like the Jets and the Jaguars. I can tell you that they don't have players the caliber of Eric Armstead. So knowing that, um, do you think this should be his home from now on? Like, how could you move Eric Armstead after watching what he's done this, you know, just this past two months or so? Because he has been just otherworldly uh, dominant. I have no idea how you kick him back outside after this 10-week stretch. Ever since week 10 when they moved him inside – and we're now, what, week 20? So 10 weeks. He's been downright dominant. He's had five and a half sacks the last three weeks, I believe. I think four of those have come on third down. He had two huge sacks on third down. The third and goal sack, which I feel like is less talked about, but was massive because it forces the Packers to kick the field goal instead of score a touchdown because at that point, if they go up 14-3, the game's probably over. And the third and eight sack, which or third and eight, I think, which we just talked about, Huge, huge plays. Um, and Armstead's been doing that down the stretch. That sack led to the block punt, by the way. Right. So if they don't sack him there, maybe the ball is on the 30-yard line. Maybe the punt is blocked, and now the 49ers take over on the 25-yard line, and they have to kick a field goal, and they don't score a touchdown. And we aren't we aren't talking about playing the Rams right now. So, yeah, the plays that he's making, like they're happening on third down. They're happening in the most crucial downs, and that's what you pay these guys for. So – uh, I know he got a lot of flack for his contract. I know they got a flack for, you know, choosing him over Buckner. It was probably fool's gold to assume that he would be playing defensive tackle now because, you know, Javon Kinlaw is hurt. Know. So right. Armstead would have probably been outside. But, yeah, he's been, you know, he, he's been he a looks like a mismatch. Yeah, like I don't feel like there's – that's not, you know, hyperbole to say. He really has been that good. He's been playing that well. So, yeah, I couldn't imagine moving him in against a team like the Rams, against a team who – an offensive line, I mean, you guys remember last time they played just a couple weeks ago, he was all over the place. They have 
these guys who have shorter arms or just kind of smaller, uh, not a, not as athletic. They, they're more of like a team type of offensive line, and um, they don't have you know the, the stars one on one. So this this should be a really big game for him. Um, let's talk about Warner though, because that forced fumble that he had. Again, the Packers are driving. The Packers look like they're going to go up fourteen zero. Yeah, like they they seem to be rolling on that second drive too. Sure enough, Warner comes out of nowhere, punches the ball out, forces a fumble. But even before then, like he had a couple tackles at the line of scrimmage. He had broke up a screenplay where he just split two offensive linemen. He was locked in. And we hadn't really seen a Fred Warner type of game this season where so he has his reputation of making a of, of being a playmaker, but he earned that reputation. And that hadn't really happened this season. I feel like for the first time last week was, you know, the Fred Warner contract like that's that's what we expected to see from him all season and he's a damn good player and he always has been but to see him actually you know turning you know forcing fumbles uh he's he's running down the middle of the field with a tight end one-on-one and you know in position um i, I don't know he <laughs> he's as good as he, he is the best linebacker in the nfl and that has been the case since 2019 i feel like a lot of people thought that i was jumping the gun when i said that but uh you, you just can't do the things um that they they're able to on defense without a linebacker like Fred Warner. So uh, PFS Seth Galena pointed this out. They had their linebacker or they had their defensive tackles lined up at different techniques and that allowed Fred Warner to get one-on-ones and he that just was a good won. clip. Yeah, it was. And he just won every one of those. And um, essentially Demigo Ryan's funneled the running game through Fred Warner. So if you want to run the ball, you're going to have to get by my best player and they couldn't. And just again, what a, what a game plan from D'Amico Ryans just from again, making you go through his best players and taking away your best player after the first drive, and that's how we ended up here. Two more things, and you pointed this out. Dante Johnson, I mean, to be put in that spot when Ambry Thomas goes down with the knee sprain and to you know play as well as he did against Devontae Adams in that big of a spot was immense. Can't say enough. And then you posted the clip of the one route, the blaze out, which – is, you know, the Julio route, it's extremely difficult to guard, especially against the best wide receiver, one of the best route runners in football. And Dante Johnson just played that beautifully, right? Um, knowing he had inside help, staying right where he needed to be. So credit to him. And then also credit to Kwaski Tart. And I think Dan Orlovsky pointed this out on the play where they busted the coverage um, and Aaron Jones is running down the right sideline. Kwaski Tart's on the opposite side of the field. And that man puts on a full sprint. And that that's just all out effort. Could have been all out effort because you know you got to stop him, right? And it's a huge play to bring him down because eventually they end up settling for the field goal. They end up blocking it, so you a you end up stopping them from getting seven points. So you say four points, and then leads to the field goal block. So just a huge play from Kwaski Tart that you know in the midst of the game we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about the Jordan Willis plays, or we'll talk about Debo, but. Those type of plays have been shown, you know, they don't necessarily show up in the box score, but those are the type of plays that this team has just been making week in and week out in these must-win games, and it's the reason why they're here. Yeah, it could have easily given up, you know, because he was on the other side of the field. But, yeah, that is – I think that speaks to what this team is just because, like, he sold out to go get him. And Aaron Jones saw that, and he started to slow down because of Tars Hustle and – Eventually, that led to a blocked field goal. Packers don't get any points off of a 75-76 yard pass. That is just phenomenal right there. So, will 
the 49ers defense be able to replicate what they did against the Cowboys, what they did against the Packers after the first drive, what they did against the Rams in the second half? Because if you watch Matthew Stafford, he looks like he is on. He looks like he is dialed in. He's making plays down the field. He is torching the blitz. He's torched the blitz all season. So I feel like if we're in the NFC Championship, he's probably not just going to run out of that magic all of a sudden. I thought it would be last week, honestly, and still, nope. Uh, he made Todd Bowles pay every time. And I feel like we saw the difference of Stafford and Goff. When, uh, when they blitz, when you blitz him, he's going to go down the field and take advantage of your one-on-ones. He's going to give Cooper Cup a chance. And, shoot, we saw that against the, uh, the 49ers when he beat Jimmy Ward and he beat Dante Johnson down, down the uh, down the sideline. So um, what, do you, what do you think is going to happen here on that side of the ball? Because I, I assume that we're going to see um, points – on both sides, but I'm curious to see how Sean McVay attacks uh, the 49ers defense. On the side of the ball that you're talking about, can the 49ers defense slow down Matt Stafford in the blitz? So the 49ers defense in the first two matchups, they got 41% pressure with only blitzing 14% of the time. That's the key. That's the key. You got to rush the pass with four. You got to keep seven in coverage and you got to get home. And the 49ers and you and I, talked about this maybe a couple weeks ago. D'Amico Ryans and Chris Kucerich do such a phenomenal job of getting their best pass rushers against your bet, your worst offensive lineman. Like you mentioned, it was 55, the center, and it was those two other guys along the interior, and they just found ways to expose that. They brought both on stunts. They made sure to get Armstead one-on-one. Uh, Arden Key up the middle. They, they try to get their best pass rushers against your weakest links, and I imagine they'd do that again. And Matt Stafford, when he's pressured but not blitzed, hasn't been a very good quarterback. I think he ranks 19th in PFF grade for what for what it's worth. So that's the key, I think, um, on that side of the ball. So it, it starts with the trenches. And then on, on the opposite side of the ball, I think it's also the same thing. It's going to start up front. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come down to the offensive line. How much you know, can they get push in the run game? which they did in the second half, especially on that opening drive, which I think started with nine or 10 straight runs. 10 in a row. 10 in a row. Or that might have been the second drive, actually, with where it ended with the Debo touchdown. Um, But if they can impose that kind of physicality and then also give Jimmy Garoppolo just enough time to be able to make plays, you know, I'd imagine that's how they go after this defense. And like we mentioned earlier, you go after the other corner, Dante Dion. Middle of the field, Rams give up yards in chunks, 300 yards in the two games. Um, linebackers, Troy Reader, not a great tackler. I'd imagine they try to isolate him in the run game. So these offenses are familiar with how to attack the scheme. I think it's just a matter of execution when it comes down to Sunday for four quarters. So the last game, when I rewatched it, Amory Thomas, who hopefully is able to play, hopefully he's healthy enough to play, he did a really nice job on both – Odell Beckham and Cooper Cup. So having him back in the lineup would just do wonders for this defense. Still, I'm not sure that they can cover Cup, but that's not really an indictment on the defense because nobody has been able to cover Cup. They did a really good job, though, against OBJ. So Odell Beckham didn't have, like, he didn't do anything after essentially that first uh, third and long catch. So he caught a third and long, and then he caught a slant on Mosley. And then after that, Mosley put the clamps on him. But Thomas did as well. And I feel like Thomas should get credit for that. It it doesn't reflect because, you know, they weren't targeted. But he took them out of the game and forced Stafford to go elsewhere. So the Rams, the 49ers, 
were able to do whatever they wanted to on the defensive line. I haven't seen a performance that dominant um, from in the trenches, so I don't feel like that's going to change. So it's going to come down to, can the Rams block the 49ers? Can the 49ers cover Cup? So whichever one you think will happen will probably be will probably be the one, you know, that's just going to be the matchup that decides the game. Um, you talk about the offense. Uh, is Shanahan going to come out aggressive here? Because I feel like this isn't a game where you want to sit back and, you know, hope your defense gets stops and you hope to play the field position. Because as I said, Stafford is very good. Like Stafford's been playing very well. He has. I just I don't think this is a game where you want to play with fire again and try to, you know, get down or obviously you're not trying to get down three or 17 points or get down 7-0 like they did were last year last week, but I feel like this has to be a game where you try to establish um whether it's the run, whether it's the pass, you try to dictate the tempo and by doing that, you know, getting out with an early lead and putting the pressure on Stafford, which who has not like that is the one thing. Like think about the biggest games he's played in his career. That's right, last week. And the pressure really wasn't on until the final drive where he just I'm, – I'm downplaying, you know, how well – like how good of a throw he made. But put the pressure on Stafford for four quarters because before last week, the biggest game that he played in – what Was the week was before? The, yeah, like seriously. <laughs> or like the, the one playoff game in his career or go back like a decade against George, in Georgia when he was in the Hawaii Bowl or whoever they played. So I don't feel like he's been in big moments, and I feel like you have to force his hand. We've seen Sean McVay get tight, completely conservative when he play when he gets with the lead. So I feel like if you get up on him, McVay will just be even more frazzled. He wants to get it back in one play. That's how he coaches. So if you get up on Sean McVay, he's going to swing for the fences, and he think about the big double. Yeah, yeah, he hangs his he hangs his offense out to dry quite a bit. They're not going to be able to run the ball on the 49ers. I can promise you that they. They can't get any type of movement. I don't know who 18 was, but they were using this wide receiver number 18 to block uh, the 49ers DBs, who, by the way, have been fantastic in run support. I, I know a lot of people are going to think of the, the first drive and Dante Johnson missed a tackle. But after that, like he was money. He was mostly is just so good against the run. He's very aggressive. But all of those, those two, Tartan Ward. So you're not running the ball against these guys. So if they can keep the Rams in third and long, that's not sustainable. I know, again, Stafford hit the big play last week. You think about a couple weeks ago when the 49ers played them. Yes, he hit the long ones to cup, but those are two plays in the grand scheme of things. That's not how you're going to beat the 49ers. Like You're not going to be able to sustain that success. So, yeah, I'd feel pretty confident if I were the 49ers. They have good reason to, obviously, based on the history, which we haven't even gotten into. But the matchup seems like uh, they'll have the advantage here. It's like they've turned it up since that first since that first half in Los Angeles. This is defense. So they gave up 17 points in that first half first half against the Rams. Since that, they only gave up 10 points against the Rams in the second half. They've given up 17 at Dallas and they've only given up 10 against Green Bay. What is that? 37 points in two and a half games. They have been unreal and I can't imagine that that defense coordinated by D'Amico Ryans, which is going to be Fully healthy, assuming they get Ambry Thomas back, is gonna, you know, all of a sudden forget to, forget how to play defense. And remember that for in the Week 18 matchup, they didn't have Aziz Alshire, who they get back, who they're gonna have this week, who's you know also flying around, still making plays. They didn't have Kwan Williams, 
So they had to roll out, you know, um, they had Darquez Denard in the slot <laughs> for a little bit. They had Dante Johnson out there in the slot. So that won't be a problem, especially, you know, as a in the run game as a blitzer. Um, and then one of the things you pointed out uh, last game in, in week 18, early in that matchup against Cup, Sean McVay was trying to get Cup isolated on anybody but Jimmy Ward, it felt like. They had, you know, I think Cup matched up against Dante Johnson and 18, Scourneck matched up against Ward. I'd imagine D'Amico Ryans fixes that and finds a way to get Jimmy Ward on Cup. And yes, Cup made some plays down the field, but Jimmy Ward was right there. Those were 50-50 balls. They could go either way. Right. And you live and die with your best players on the other team's best players. And so I'd imagine that's a schematic adjustment that they'll look to make this week. And I just think the way that that defensive line is playing, I, th- I have a hard time believe the Rams are going to slow them down. They got pressure in that week 18 game, 48% of the snaps, 48% of the snaps. They were in the backfield pressuring Matt Stafford. And he's not a good quarterback under pressure, especially when you don't blitz. And I feel like that point isn't being hammered home enough because you're talking about the last two weeks and how well he's played. And he's played well. But Arizona blitzed 50% of the time. I'm not sure, like, Vance Joseph, like, he didn't get the advanced stats or whatever, but he blitzed 50% of the time. And Stafford torched them. And then last week, Todd Bowles, I think he blitzed them 37% of the time, also torched them. And I'd have to imagine that D'Amico Ryans does not do that. He sticks with what has worked for them, which is stopping the run with four which they did. I think their running backs only got 45 yards on 26 carries, if I remember correctly, in Week 18. And then you rush the passer with four. And if that defensive line, which is the best unit on this team, which is the deepest unit on this team, can do that, they're going to have success. So in the playoffs, you just you do what you do. Tampa Bay led the lead in regular season at blitz rate 40% of the time. The Cardinals were fourth in blitz rate. The 49ers blitz the fourth fewest time. So if you're going to do what you do and knowing that you can get pressure with four, again, that's why the matchup would suggest the 49ers will have success because we we watched the Rams just get bowled over on the offensive line by several different players. And they have a mark. And the 49ers matched up Eric Armstead against that mark often. And I, I just don't think, you know, whether it's the center, whether it's the left guard, probably even the right guard, honestly, um, they – Against Jones, DJ Jones, and Eric Armstead, they were all over the place. So uh, let let's talk about before we make our Rams predictions here. Uh, all of this D'Amico Ryan's love, and he deserves every bit of it. Um, it's it's kind of crazy to think about the the success that he's had. So he has interviewed for head coaching positions. He interviewed. He's scheduled to interview with the Raiders. After the NFC Championship, like at some some point during the week after the NFC Championship, he already interviewed with the Vikings um, on Sunday, this past Sunday. So Kwesi Adofu Mensa, I hope I said that right, is the Vikings' new general manager. He was once upon a time with the 49ers. And it wasn't as if he was with the 49ers for a couple seasons. He was with the 49ers from 2013 to 2019. Um, he obviously has overlap with D'Amico Ryan. So if there's anybody who knows – the work ethic, the type of person, the character of D'Amico Ryans, it would be Mensa. Let's just say that Ryans gets a head coaching job, and who knows if that's the case. But let's talk about potential replacements because the the name that everybody wants to hear is Vic Fangio. Uh, bring Vic Fangio back, and why wouldn't you? You know, he's one of the best defensive coordinators in the past twenty years to come in the NFL. So, um, do you think? 
let's let's talk about some potential names. Do you think Fangio would be a guy Shanahan entertains? Do you think it would be in-house? Is he going to bring in a guy like Mike Zimmer, Gus Bradley? There are guys out there, and there are probably plenty of big names out there that would appease the fans, but I don't, an in-house would make the most sense, but it, I feel like it would also wouldn't be the type of splash um, fans would want to see, and, and not that they make the difference, but um, that sh- probably should be considered at some point. If you look at the in-house candidates and you just go through the defensive coaching staff, a guy like Chris Kacarek, I'm not sure if he's going to you know, move up and be a defensive coordinator. I think he's the type of guy that is going to be a defensive line coach and just be really, really, really good at that. And Jed York should just cut a check for whatever he wants because Chris Kacarek is that good at his job. And then you look at like they're a DB's coach, safety's coach, linebacker, whatever, right? And the only guy that I thought internally that could be promoted to defensive coordinator – was James Betcher, who Kyle Shanahan hired last offseason. It was a kind of a quiet move. They brought in Betcher and felt like a, you know not a lot of people were talking about it, but he's their run game coordinator. Well, guess what? Their run defense has been fantastic this season. He's also senior defensive assistant, so I'm sure he's in D'Amico Ryan's ear in a lot of these meetings. I'm sure he's leading some meetings. Um, he's been a defensive coordinator previously, so he has experience calling plays on that side of the ball. So I'd imagine... As an in-house candidate, he's probably the leading contender to take that position, which, again, I feel like when you say James Betcher, a lot of fans are like, oh, my God, um, we're going from Demetri Ryans to Betcher. But um, to keep continuity, I feel like that would be the most logical name. And then the external candidates, like you mentioned, there's Mike Zimmer, Gus Bradley, Vic Fangio, um, another underrated, underrated name. I don't know if he got fired, but Patrick Graham, who was the Giants defensive coordinator, who was also really good. I'm guessing the Giants let go of their entire staff. Um, so I'd, I'd say he's also uh, a candidate that they could look at externally. But th- those are the options. And really, I think for the for Ryans, it looks like the Minnesota job is, is uh, kind of lining up for him, especially with the GM they just hired. Um, there's been some crossover between Ryans and Mensa in, in uh, San Francisco a couple years ago, so they know each other. Ryans interviewed there. They had a defensive head coach. And it feels like... It feels like Ryan's going to get that job, especially the, with the performance he put up against the Packers. And if he's able to do that against the Rams again, it just feels like given what everybody says about him, his experience as a player, what he you know has been as a defensive coordinator in this one season, the you know what everyone says about him as a person, a leader, all that stuff. You know, it feels like he's kind of the you know uh, the Mike Rabel you know comp is out there, right? player defensive coordinator than head coach and it feels like D'Amico Ryan's kind of on that path so feels like he's going to get a job this offseason especially with the momentum the last few weeks and those are some of the candidates that come to my mind um, to replace him so Patrick Graham is the assistant head coach on the Giants and he actually just interviewed for their head coaching position he's still the DC um, okay there just on Ryan's real quick he's 37 and um he was re- he was playing in the NFL in 2015, so to be able to turn around from your playing career, go through the NFL, you know, go through the whole coaching tree, be a DC for one year. Fred Warner, who again was the highest paid linebacker at one point this offseason, said Ryan's a couple weeks ago was the brightest football mind that he's ever been around. The praise that he's been getting is unreal. But again, when you see the results, when you see what they're doing on the field, and you see how they're how they're stopping these quarterbacks, like it's Stafford in the second half, it's Prescott, it's Rodgers, 
it's pretty impressive. So I feel like he's earned it. But just putting into context that how young he is and how quickly he's risen is is something else. So I'm I'm happy for him. I hope that he does get it. And, you know, I'm sure the 49ers wouldn't mind getting those comp picks, but losing a mind like Ryan's after one season would be pretty tough. And it, even if it is Betcher, even if it is in-house because he has, Betcher has been here and he knows what Ryan's wants to do. But uh, the the type of command that he's, the type of respect that he's commanded is, it's been second to none, man. I, I've seen players interact with him and it, it wasn't like this with Salah. And that's not a shot at Salah. That's more of a, you know, a credit to what Ryan's, just again, their intensity, their tackling, everything from top to bottom has been as good as it gets, man. Um, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but once upon a time, 49ers were three and five. Looks like it looked like the Dolphins were gonna have a top 15 pick. Now that pick will be no higher than number 29. Um, ideally it'd be number 32. Just pretty crazy that we're talking about, you know, the 49ers four quarters away from the Super Bowl. Unreal unreal with how the season's gone you and i for a lot of the season were like are they gonna make playoffs are they not gonna make the playoffs and they're in the nfc freaking championship after not scoring an offensive touchdown in green bay against the one seed it you know just been an unreal season it's been one of the crazier seasons for a team that i've followed it feels like um and i forgot who said this but it just feels like they're a team of destiny with the way they've played the last few weeks and that's not you know it's not quantifiable it's not in the stats whatever right but just when that ball dropped off that fake punt or after the block punt, excuse me, just felt like things were uh, falling into place for San Francisco. And a lot of people compare this team to the the early Giants teams with Eli Manning, right? With the way they just kind of snuck into the playoffs and then got hot. Jimmy Garoppolo said it, you know, when they get dangerous or when they get hot, they get dangerous. And it just has that, it just has that feeling. And this week, especially you and I feel they just have a matchup advantage in certain places. They have the experience of beating this team. It's going to be a primarily 49ers crowd. Um, just talking to a few ticket brokers, it feels like it's going to be like a 60-40 type game. <laughs> How pathetic. <laughs> which is sad, but it's going to be a 49ers home game more or less. Or at least it's going to be a 49ers majority crowd, um, which will play right into their hands. So just putting all that into account, probably time to move to game picks. What do you have? NFC title game. Who moves on to the Super Bowl? So before I get to the picks i started covering the 49ers in 2019 went to the super bowl last year didn't make playoffs this year i have a chance to go to the super bowl if this is going to be how it is um first of all i'm gonna be very upset if they don't make the super bowl every year <laughs> just because spoiled like that but um unreal the trends the ups and downs of this team i think they win i think that you know eventually the the slipper comes out from Matt Stafford against the blitz, against the pressure. And you know, he, he has made mistakes. I feel like we haven't, you know, discussed those either. He did turn the ball over twice and he threw some pretty bad picks to the 49ers. He didn't last week. He didn't the week before, but again, the pressure wasn't on him. I think when the press, and when I say pressure, I don't mean like the literal pressure is on him. Right. I mean, mental pressure. when he has, yeah, when he has to make a play, put Matt Stafford in a position where he has to make a play. I feel like more often than not, we're going to see what we saw against the 49ers in the second half and not so much, you know, a bomb one-on-one to cup against a safety, against a defense that has had coverage busts all season. Like the the mistakes Tampa Bay were making on the back end, that is not what the 49ers do. They just don't make those type of mistakes. So I don't think the Rams are going to score more than 23, 24. Agreed. I do think the 49ers are, and I do think they are going to come out with – 
some wrinkles. And we talked about this a little bit beforehand where, you know, last week, Trent Williams, fullback, tight end, that was new. So they're probably going to build off that. Maybe Trent Williams sneaks into the end zone off of that play. Maybe they have a bootleg and they take a shot play because everybody sees, hey, Trent Williams in the backfield, Trent Williams in the backfield. It's going to be a run, Trent Williams side, yep. And then they go over top, and that leads to a big play. But, I mean, I haven't seen anything from the Rams to suggest that they'll be able to cover the 49ers. I do think they have a really good pass rush. And, again, they're going to sack Jimmy Robbo. They're going to make plays in the backfield, but I don't think they can tackle the 49ers on the perimeter. I think Shanahan knows that. I think he's going to get his ball to his playmakers, and there will be plenty of points. So I'm going 27-23. I think the 49ers win. I think that it's going to come down to a staff turnover, and I think we're going to be talking about uh, Chiefs 49ers round two, man, and I I can't wait because uh, it's – I don't know if they're – I don't. I don't want to call them the two best teams, but they're they're certainly two of the more interesting teams, two of the two of the more talented teams, and we'll be talking about taking down uh, uh, King Mahomes, man, the Grim Reaper, as the Grim said. Reaper, as Andy Reid said. I one thousand percent agree. I think the 49ers win 24-20. 49ers have the best, either the Chiefs' offense or the 49ers' defense is the best unit still remaining in the playoffs, and I'm going to take the 49ers' defense over the Rams' offense all day, every day. I'm going to take the better coach in this matchup, Kyle Shanahan over Sean McVay. I just think the hottest team in this coming into this game, 49ers, and just you just put together everything we've talked about during this episode um, and the fact that they've beaten them six straight times, the confidence that they're going to go into with this game, the fact that they came down from 17 points at halftime to beat this team, all that stuff is going to you know come out in this game. I think they win. I think you're right. I think Stafford's going to make mistakes. Mental pressures on him. Mental pressures on Sean McVay and the Rams. They're a home favorite, no matter what the crowd is. Um, they're the team that went all in the season. Von Miller, OBJ, Stafford, everything. I think there's a chance for that to unravel. I think the 49ers come in. They win, man. I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I think you're right. I think they're going to play the Chiefs. 49ers Chiefs round two. I think we're going to be back next Wednesday. Talking about the Super Bowl, and I would have never thought that at one point this season, but they are here. I think they get there. It's going to be a fantastic game. I cannot wait. Once again, to everybody, thank you for listening. Please rate, subscribe, review to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. Please drop us five stars. Drop a review. We really, really, really appreciate everything. And once again, where can we find you on social, KP? Uh, you follow me at KP underscore show. I think one thing that I'm I'm kind of interested in is if we see Ryan's go Belichick again, where maybe OBJ is guarded by Mosley and they send extra help to Cup this time like they did with Adams and make Stafford, you know, if you're going to beat me, beat me with Van Jefferson, um, beat me with whoever 18 neck because um, Warner will be on Higby. Like Higby is actually a matchup problem for most teams. That is not the case for the 49ers because they have guys who can run Greenlaw, uh, who's been playing very well these last few weeks. He can run. Warner is obviously the best coverage linebacker in the NFL. So they, they're able to take away some of the strengths from the Rams. So, uh, KP underscore show, Kyle Posey on YouTube. Akash, how about yourself? At A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V on Twitter. And go Niners.